The following podcast may be explicit. One Joe Young presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to another special episode of Adventures from the Shed. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Also find us on Facebook, iTunes, and anywhere else you want to search us up on the internet, Adventures from the Shed. This is another special edition where Joe, me, I come with you to explore some new options, maybe, or options you already know, regarding being a game master at your tabletop role-playing game. Most of what I talk about will focus on a medieval fantasy-type setting. Uh, D&D, or Dungeons & Dragons, is one of the more popular systems right now. Uh, there's also Pathfinder and several others that put you into that setting. So the words I use and some of the terminology I use apply there specifically, but you can take them into different game systems as well. This episode, we're going to talk a little about, um, or go into a little more detail, I should say, about party balance and character choices. What I mean by that, if we go back to the last episode, which was some general GM thoughts, I mentioned uh, how important it was to have a party balance, but not at the expense of a player's choice on which character they would like to have. And that's where we'll start here. One of the most important things in a lot of role-playing games is to have a proper party balance. And what that means is you have a certain type of character that's really good at a certain type of thing, and then you take a bunch of those different things and put them together. For example, you have your fighter or uh, what is commonly referred to as a tank. That's the person up front that has a really good defense, can soak up a lot of damage. They're the ones trying to protect everyone else. Then you have the opposite of that, which is somebody who usually doesn't take much damage but can deal a lot of damage. And that is usually your uh, your DPS or damage per second or damage dealer or whatever you might want to call it a lot of times. Sometimes this is a ranger or a wizard, or sometimes it's even a fighter, a fighter style that doesn't have a high defense or ability to soak up a lot of damage, but can deal a lot of damage, like a, a rogue, someone who maybe does backstabbing or something like that. Then you have the middle of that, which is a support class, and that's somebody who makes anybody else a little bit better. Uh, sometimes you can think of those as the, the bard or um, even clerics or some class that makes it a little easier to hit the target or makes it a little uh, harder for the target to hit you. Between those two things, it kind of sums up what the support class might help do. And then you have a healer, and a healer class is pretty much anybody who helps restore lost hit points. I know that's a really hard uh, generalization, but it is pretty straightforward for the purposes of what we're going to talk about here. So if a healer's main job is essentially to restore lost hit points, or for that matter, maybe even in addition to restoring lost hit points, can help uh, reduce the amount of hit points lost to begin with, so prevent hit point loss. That can also be very useful. So when it comes to that party balance, one of the things you'll see or have already seen when you play these games is most adventures require different classes to get different things done. Most combats require different classes to get through the combat to be successful. 
when it comes to what I call the published adventures, uh, I know some people call pre-published. Uh, I've done that as well. But adventures that are published for you. You've purchased this adventure. It has all of the NPCs, the world, the, um, the, the full adventure that you're going to work with is on a piece of paper or in a book, and you're running your game from that book. When you have that, many times it's vitally important to make sure you adhere to a lot of the pieces within that published adventure. The reason for that is if you start changing things early on, you may end up breaking something later on. For example, in the beginning of the adventure, instead of helping the blacksmith get rid of the, the spiders in his basement, if you kill the blacksmith, he may be an important NPC later on in the adventure, and that may, in, in on its surface at least, break your adventure. So, a published adventure has a lot of um, predefined pieces that you'll find yourself working with. The opposite of that is something you create yourself or uh, a more sandbox world where not everything is defined and you are able to make changes as you go and adapt to things like the party killing the blacksmith. So when it comes to the, the differences between the two, this is where, for me at least, and I would advise that the party balance really comes into play. For example, if you've got an adventure which constantly brings you through puzzles, and when I say puzzles, it's pretty much anything you roll to overcome that is not combat. So a, uh, a trap, a diplomacy check with a, a, an NPC, um, any kind of interaction with the environment that requires a roll, like a perception check or something like that, any of those difficulty checks or puzzles within a published adventure, will vary um, pretty regularly because those who write the adventures want to make sure each class or each, each character's abilities get tested because it helps for people to feel more included. So you'll, you'll come up to a building and maybe the first thing you need to do outside is a good uh, search or a perception or, or some kind of check that requires a wisdom or intelligence or maybe even a specific character class ability. But then you get up to the door and to get in, now you need a rogue to pick the lock or somebody to kick the door down. So you, you narrow down the pieces that are allowed to get in that door. And once inside, maybe you find a book and the only type of person who can read the book is a wizard, which then narrows down the focus of who can do what. Again, it's very helpful for a, a, a party with different classes to all feel involved. It's great for class balance, for character balance, for party balance. It lets everybody feel involved. What I would argue on that part is it's less important to have the different character classes or abilities than it is important to have the players play characters they want to play. And this is something I mentioned in the General Thoughts podcast, and I'll go back to it again. For my experience, and I would advise anybody who, who's putting together a new session or new, bringing together new players, as, as much as possible, and try to make it possible, that you allow the players to play the characters that they want to play. Very important to find out what it is they want out of their character. What is it that their character is striving for? What are, or what are they known for, if anything? What's their background? What does the player expect the character to contribute. Of course, this can change as the adventure goes. As somebody determines that their character is different from what they initially thought, anything can change, and you should allow for that. 
But at the beginning, if you end up with four people at your table that all want to play some sort of fighting class and nobody wants to play the wizard, what I would say is, first off, let them. (laughs) Make sure you find out why they want to do it and give them the opportunity to actually do it. And then secondly, make sure you then tailor your adventure to allow for those things. And here's where I want to take a, a couple of minutes to focus. If everybody wants to play a fighting class, but maybe somebody wants to use a bow and somebody else wants to use a two-handed weapon, somebody else is a regular sword and shield style, someone else may be a more tactical fighter, whatever it may be, uh, you also may find that you have someone who wants to be <clears throat> excuse me, a fighter, but they also want to be very intelligent. This happens regularly. Somebody doesn't want to play the big dumb fighter. They want to pay, play the big smart fighter. That happens. So you're able to, you should be able to then take the different personalities that the people put together and make up for the differences. I feel this is part of the GM's job. Make sure the players are happy so they keep coming back to your table, your world, and you get the chance to keep working with them. If you're unable to make them happy, they are probably not going to come back. And if you enjoy what you do as a game master, make sure you're making them happy so they come back. So... When the players choose those characters, now it's your job, as I said, to make the party balanced. If there's no magic in the party and you feel like you need to have magic in your world, give them magical items. It's very simple. Now, what items you give may be the more difficult part, but make the very straightforward and simple decision right at the beginning. If you need magic in the party and nobody wants to play a magic using character class, then make sure they have magic items that suit the purpose for which you want magic. For example, if you want to make sure that that, uh, people are able to read magical books, then give the party a special pair of spectacles or a a spyglass or a magnifying glass or something that allows when held with maybe with a certain role, you, you can pick how difficult you make it, but make sure they have the opportunity to be able to read those things. And it could be so important to you to have magical books out there that you should, if, if it is that important to you, you should make the concession to allow the players their choices and still fit your role, your, your model that you've put together. Because of that, I personally prefer created puzzles over published puzzles, mainly because I can make those changes more or less on the fly. I do understand it's not the easiest thing for a lot of folks to come up with uh, things ad hoc and on the fly and improvisationally. Uh, I enjoy doing it. If you don't enjoy doing it, which a great many people don't, then... Make sure you have, at least in your head, the preparation of how can this puzzle be different if it is attempted by somebody who it wasn't originally intended for. If you have a puzzle put together and that puzzle involves a rogue picking a lock, and by the time you get your class, your class is determined, your party's together, uh, players are happy with their choices, and you get to that puzzle you put together and you realize nobody played a rogue, Make sure you come up with a different way to do it. What, what was that? What was the purpose of that door being locked? Is it locked because there's something special behind it? Is it locked as a decoy because there's nothing behind it? How, how else can the players get past that lock using the character abilities that their characters have, not ones they don't have? So sometimes a lock can just be kicked open, hit really hard. 
Uh, maybe it sets off a trap. Maybe that brings further drama or uh, excitement into the piece that you're currently playing. Or maybe uh, it, it involves using some magic item stuck in the door. Maybe the you've given the, the, the uh, players a special magical lockpick where they don't need any skills to use it, but it only works maybe once a day, uh, once every other day, and uh, because of that, you force them to stay in the dungeon longer, which causes more problems, etc. You, you can find ways around the problems that are either in a published adventure or problems that you ended up creating for yourself because the, the players didn't choose the characters you thought they would choose. Remember, this is okay. The players should have free choice into what character classes and what abilities, you know, within the game set rules that... They should have free choices to what that that character is that they bring into your world. Yes, it's your world, but don't forget, never forget, if the players are not in the world, it might as well not exist. You can spend all your time, which I have, and uh, I know of other game masters and dungeon masters who have created entire worlds with NPCs and cities and ecosystems and, and monetary systems and all kinds of things that if no player ever plays in it, it might as well not exist. And, and it's a harsh thing to say, or maybe a little hard to hear, but it's true. If you really enjoy doing it, that's still its own reward. But if you're doing it with the intention of people playing it, and you don't allow them to play what they want, you're going to lose out. You're going to miss out on something. You'll have less happy players, and the less happy players are the players that may not come back. It's something to think about. There are some areas where there's a, a dearth of, of players that uh, a GM is able to keep a certain amount of players just because uh, there are no other games in the area. And in a, in a way, that's a shame. It should still be a nice symbiotic give-and-take relationship where uh, the GM gives and takes and the players give and take so that they're working together throughout the adventures, throughout the, the time they have together. One other thing I'd like to say about the puzzles before I wrap this up, because we are going to wrap up this one here, with the puzzles, whether you've created it or whether it's in a published adventure. Two things that I think are hugely important to remember. First, it's okay to skip a puzzle. Almost every time a puzzle is there, it's just a way to get somebody to roll a die to have a random chance on whether they find it, the, the thing on the other side of the puzzle or not, whether they overcome that puzzle. If it's the locked door, if it's a perception check to find out if somebody's hiding around a corner somewhere, whatever it may be, it's okay to skip the puzzle and let them have what it is on the other side of it. Let them get through the door. They try the handle, it opens. It doesn't have to be locked. If they need to find somebody who's around the corner, you just tell them you hear the snap of a twig around the corner or there's something that, that indicates to you there's a shadow, there's, a, there's something there that you notice. That way, it just happens. You don't have to have that puzzle hurt the adventure because somebody fails it or because nobody has the capabilities within the party to do it the way it was published. And secondly... The flip side of that, it is okay to force a puzzle. 
I've been part of games before where at the end of an encounter, the GM was very upset that none of the puzzles, none of the tiles on the floor of this big dungeon were tripped because we walked around them inadvertently, mind you. But we walked around all of these fancy puzzles of this adventure that had uh, lots of neat traps, neat uh, happenings that we skipped completely. And that spot was, uh, we played, I think it was maybe two or three hours in that one area. And because of the way that the party walked around within the area, we missed every one of them. At the end, again, the game master was very, maybe not upset, but he was very disappointed. He was like, oh man, they, they, you missed that trap. You, you should have seen what happened when this one went. As a game master, feel free to force the things you want to happen. This should not take away from players' choices. If a player specifically jumps over a ravine rather than walking on the little bridge that's trapped, don't make it so that he gets hit by the trap in the middle of the air. Don't be a jerk. Uh, you know, everyone knows that cardinal rule. Just don't be a jerk. But if you have a special thing like this example I'm giving where there's you know, 50 by 50 a tiled room, so, you know, the the big area on a tactical map, and you want that special trap that releases the, you know, the, the green cloud of nastiness, let it happen. Don't worry about if they stepped on H5. Don't worry if they're sinking your battleship. Make sure that it happens if it's that important. So it is okay to force a puzzle, and it is okay to completely skip a puzzle. Two big things to remember. Those things are huge when it helps to keep your characters in in the game because they don't have to roll or keep them in the game because you forced a roll or forced something to happen. Very important. You keep the characters in the game that keeps the players engaged and hopefully then you've got your good party balance going and you've given characters the choices they need to feel involved within the game. With that, I'll wrap up this uh, podcast, which is about, again, some party balance and character choices. Love to hear back from you on any ideas you may have out there. And I'll be putting together another podcast shortly about adventure construction, specifically around encounters and puzzles and things like that that can help you move forward with your game master abilities and keeping the table happy so that you have a good adventure moving forward. In the meantime, thanks for sticking around and enjoy your day. The preceding podcast was brought to you by One Joe Young. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.